Welcome to the Back Nine Report, presented by eDraft.com. To this week's edition of the Back Nine Report, presented by eDraft.com, we go live every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and checking on the world of golf to bring you the latest news, insights, analysis, interviews, recaps, previews. Hey, we cover anything and everything golf. My name is Carlos Torres, and every week I'm alongside my co-host Fred Alvader. Fred, hi, how are you today? Carlos, another beautiful week here in northern Ohio. It's just, it's like they moved Ohio to Florida with 60 degrees every day. Guys are out, the golf courses are all open, they're all playing. Really unusual for uh, mid February here in northwest Ohio. You know, I didn't really get to watch much golf this weekend, Carlos, as I was busy with the Toledo Golf Show. But I did follow it on my cell phone, and I got home in time just to watch Dustin Johnson finish off his win at the Genesis Open. While Tiger is at home resting his back and 20-something Rory McIlroy is still out nursing an injury, 57-year-old Freddie Couples hoisted the trophy. In addition, we have a new number one on the official world golf ranking, and Hana Yang continues to be a force on the LPJ Tour. Carlos, we got a lot to talk about. Let's go. We have a lot to talk about, like you say, but... As usual, we're going to start with the weekend backspin, where we recap the weekend action on the major tours. And like you mentioned, Dustin Johnson finally fulfilling his long-time destiny to become that, that number one that we predicted a long time ago and a lot of people were expecting from him a long time ago. But if he finally reaches number one, he continues to win, he continues to perform, so you can tell us all about that that happens there at the Genesis and how was he able to get to the number one ranking in the world? You know, you bring up an interesting point here. Before we get into the Genesis Open, let's talk about DJ for a minute. You know, this is what his uh, 10th year of at least one win on tour. He's now won a major. Uh, he's won, you know, big events. He's been one of the top players for a long, long time. He does have, you know, the black spot. He's got some question marks on his personal life and his behavior off the golf course. Um, you know, where does he stack up right now? I, you know, we got speed. I mean, can you put him in the conversation with with a Nicholas and, and you know, with a, a Woods and with some of the greats of the game? Can, can you start thinking about that? Or where do we where do we slot, DJ? Uh, I think it's too early. Because I, I I would say that his arrival into the scene uh, of the top of the elite really performing it started last year, so I, I still the jury's still out. I mean, he he still has way to go, ways to go. I mean, he only has one major. He, he definitely finally reached number one, but I I would like to revisit that at the end of the year. I think that he's going to have a great year if he continues to do that. And then we can start talking about uh, where in the all-time grades he could be. You know, he could have five majors. I mean, he's thrown he three of them he away. Could. He's thrown three oh, yeah. of them away. 
and he was a contender in a, in a, in a couple open championships uh, that he finished high up. So, uh, you know, I mean, the guy could be in elite status right now mm-hmm. if, 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 the, if things were just a little bit different. But, well, anyhow, Carl, let's, go, let's, uh, let's get started. The Genesis Open, uh, the weather was glorious on Thursday in L.A., but severe storms with high winds halted play for the second round. On Friday, the course was inundated with rain, but all 54 holes were able to be completed by Sunday night, and Dustin Johnson took advantage of the soft course conditions and his length to win the Genesis Open by five shots and move to number one in the world rankings. One of the bigger stories for the week was that Tiger Woods couldn't even make it off the couch and, you know, had to withdraw from the Tuesday press conference, which they moved to Wednesday, and he whiffed that too citing back spasms and doctor's orders. He wasn't even able to present the trophy on Sunday. You know, Genesis is not getting what they paid for from Tiger Woods. Some of the other leading storylines from the week, I found this interesting. Um, Thomas Peters uh, won the NCAA Individual Championship on Riviera in 2012 and playing without any status on the PGA Tour, finished strong on a soggy Riviera. Peters finished birdie birdie to collect a tie for runner-up and is halfway to earning special temper and exemption for the rest of the season. In that same 2012 NCAA championship, Texas, with Jordan Spieth as a longhorn, won the team championship, but Jordan didn't fare as well in the Genesis this week. After his win and four straight top ten finishes to start the year, Spieth came in at T22 at Riviera. You know, Johnson jumped out to an eight-shot lead after the third round, 64, on Sunday morning. But a couple of bogeys late in the day left him with only a five-shot win. It was another dominant performance for the long hitter. In addition to winning, DJ and Paulina announced that Paulina is pregnant with her second child. Wesley Bryan, YouTube trick shot artist, who won three times on the Web.com Tour last year, continues to impress as he collected a T4 finish. Carlos, you can write it down right here on February the 21st. I'm predicting a win for Mr. Bryan this season. Luke Donald got some air time this week. He was consistently 50 yards shorter than Johnson off the tee. Johnson averaged 313. Donald only hit to about 260, but he still had a good week. He keeps getting a little better, and he's returning to world-class form. We're going to talk more about this uh, yardage off the tee thing a little bit later in the show. The totally deaf golfer from Ohio State, Kevin Hall, struggled in his first professional event. I was talking with a friend of Hall's over the weekend, and he had been texting back and forth. Hall told him he was so nervous he could not control his emotions playing with the big boys. See, Carlos, it, it happens even to the best golfers everywhere. Phil Mickelson made some noise on Sunday. He was way down the leaderboard and started his final round on the back nine. Nonetheless, he never ceases to entertain. He chipped in for Eagle at number 10, again for Eagle at number 17, and chipped in for a birdie at 18. Three chip-ins on his first nine holes. He shot a four under par 32, but the back was a different story. Three bogeys and only one birdie left him with a minus 269 and a T34 finish. You know, I don't know about you, Carlos, but when I watch Riviera, I just want to see number 10. Is this the best short hole in golf? I mean, there is just no good way to play this hole. 
laying it up over that bunker to the left and just leaving yourself a short little chip shot and try to run it back in there. But still, if that pin's clear to the back, it's so narrow, and the ball runs off left and right. That I, I, I've played a couple holes like that, and they just drive you nuts. I never know what to do with them. I try to play them short and punt it back in there. I try to chip them and either chip it off the back or chip it off this. I mean, they drive you nuts. I, that, that hole is fun to watch. Adam Scott had three rounds in the 60s, but a 70 in the final round on Sunday dropped him to T11. He was getting a lot of air time, and he was growing a short beard on his chin. Did, did you notice all the gray hair in that beard? I still think of Adam Scott as being a young guy, but at 36, he's, he's one of the older guys out there now. One of the more interesting stories that got overlooked from the Genesis Open was the high number of withdrawals for the week. Two big names are on the list. Defending champ Bubba Watson withdrew during the second round with just two holes remaining in his, in his uh, second round and did not give a reason for his action. He did appear to favor his left wrist during a shot out of the deep rough on number seven. Uh, Watson was eight over and would have missed his second consecutive cut after an opening round 74. He also missed a cut at the Waste Management Phoenix Open last week um, with a 69-74. You know, he was a defending champ in this thing. Uh, he won in 2016 and 2014. And he only missed one cut all last year, and now this is the second one already. I wonder if he's battling a little bit of a wrist injury or something or just at eight over, he decided the weather's bad and the course is wet. Let's get out of here. I don't know. Uh, Vaughn Taylor, Bryson DeChambeau, Steve Marino, Shane Lowry, and Jin Ho Choi also withdrew from the event. DeChambeau's withdrawal drew some criticism on Twitter from another player. It was a rookie's third missed cut in a row, and other tour pros were not feeling the love for the golf professor, Carlos. Oh, man, I think that he's finding uh, a little difficulty now adapting to the reality of what the tour is and uh, his style and all that. He might have to revisit everything that he's doing. He's very talented, but uh, I think that he, he he might have to take some time off and, and rethink what he's doing and come back, come back and, and do it the, the right way. But, hey. Uh, it was a, a great, uh, great weekend there for for <clears throat> I'm sorry for Dustin Johnson. I mean, number one again. Uh, wow, he took over from Jason Day, who had held that top spot for 47 weeks. Uh, he's the 20th player to top the world's ranking since uh, they began back in 1986, and since that U.S. Open triumph last June, he has won three further times and has finished in the top three in eight of his last 16 tournaments. So definitely worthy of that number one uh, ranking. Thomas Peters, like you, you mentioned, uh, a guy that we're following a lot and we are predicting a big year for him. He produced the last round there at 63 to climb into his chair of second place. That check of $600,000 gets him a long way to secure his PGA Tour card. Like you mentioned, he's already halfway towards that. He also made sure his place in the next two World Golf Championship events are there. And he said, and this is interesting to know, and I'm going to quote it. He said, I love playing in Europe, but if that gets close and I can maybe lock up my PGA Tour card in the next three, four starts, then that will be good. It's not going to change my schedule for this year. Probably it will just make my schedule a little bit easier next year. I'd like to combine both of them. Ideally, I want to play here until May and then go back to Europe and play the events I want to play. So he's starting to feel the the need to play here in the PGA Tour. 
And Justin Rose, excellent. Continue his good run for a form. I mean, he secured his third top four, finishing four starts on the PGA Tour's West Coast Swing. But in, despite those good results, he's not totally happy with his game and feels there's more to come, and he's waiting on keeping improving. So, hey, if, if that's if that's the case, uh, wow, we can expect a lot of great things from <clears throat> from Justin Rose. So we'll see. Hey, hey, hey Carlos. Yes. Before you yes. before you jump to the European tour, you know, let's talk about Peters for a second. Um, I um, our friend uh, Jay Flemma. Uh, had me on his radio show um, uh, yesterday, and uh, we talked a little bit about Peters, and I read where uh, Peters said he really expects only to play professional golf for about 10 years. So he wants to win right away. He he, is not, he does not want to go slow into stuff. He wants to be a force right now because he wants to make his money, uh, make his mark, and then in 10, year, 10 years, uh, you know, he gets a little bit older, he's going to be ready to do something else. So I kind of found that interesting, you know, that – these young guys, you know, we saw, we heard the same thing from Lydia Coe. Some of these young guys were thinking, "Hey, let's get out here, let's get this done." So when I get a little bit older, if I want, if I got family and other things that, that come along, uh, now's the time to do it. Yeah, from here it's it's really interesting, and what he said also, you know, he's already thinking about combining both of the tours. I, I think that that goes along with what you're saying. Maybe he's trying to get as many things to accomplish in both sides of, of the of the pond right uh, at the same time but we'll see you know that that also brings a lot of uh a lot of stress a lot of uh weak uh, tiredness we already saw what happened to jordan speed when he tried to play it everywhere and yeah. be complacent yeah. with everyone so yeah we'll see how yeah. that goes with thomas uh, i mean they, they they're the young body. and they don't know that much yes yeah <laughs> so yeah. but we'll see we'll see what happens with him but he definitely has the talent and he's already climbing up, and as we expected him to do. So it's going to be great, a great year for Thomas Peters. Hey, going now to the European Tour, where Brett Rumford of Australia beat Thailand's, and I'm going to get it here, Pashara Kongwatmai. Okay, I said it right. <laughs> Pashara Kongwatmai. I was practicing this like six hours already today. Kongwatmai. Pashara Kongwatmai. Yeah. Yeah, yes. that's a name. I'm, I'm glad you got that this week. <laughs> yeah, I knew it. That's why I said I'll take it. I'll practice six hours today before I do this, and I'll say Pashara Kongwatmai. Yes. I still say Kongwatmai. It's easy. All right. Easy. Good job. So he, Rumford beat Thailand's Pashara Kongwatmai in the six-hole final of the groundbreaking inaugural ISPS Handout World Super 6 Perth. In front of a delighted home crowd, Rumford beat the thigh teenager by 2-1 and one to mark the climax of a thrilling final day there. Rumford, he led the tournament through 54 holes of stroke play by five shots. The Perth native had carded 17 under par for the first three rounds, but he continued his dominance throughout the match play on the final day. Starting as number one seed of the 24 men who qualified for the match play, Rumford had a bye in the first round, but then he defeated Hideo Tanihara, Wade Ormsby, and Adam Bland en route to the final. Mai only made it to the top 24 after a playoff on Saturday, but he found his form on the final day. The 17-year-old defeated Sam Brazel, Lucas Herbert, Matthew Millar, and Jason Scrivener to make it to the final. Rumford, who is 
22 years come what my senior started the final strongly going up one up at the first hole but the teenager got back on level terms at the second round at the second after Rumford failed to find the green in regulation but the Australian displayed his superb shot short game to get up and down and move one ahead again through four and the, he then sealed the win with a brilliant approach to the fifth Adam Bland finished third seeing off Jason Scrivener in the playoff 2010 Open champion Louis Eusheisen was fifth. You know, some talking points from this. This was the sixth European Tour title for Brett Rumford. And he's a hugely welcome one. I mean, he finished 118th on last season's race to the Lulai and lost his plane rides. He now has an exemption to the end of the 2018 season. He said that after the tournament that it, it, he feels great to be back, that he has uh, done a lot of reflection the past few months. After he missed his tour card last year, he had a tough, really tough year, and he didn't see his family that much. He saw it only four weeks in six months at a time. Uh, it was a grueling six months, but he's back, and he couldn't be happier. This new format for the tournament was a great success. I mean, it, it, the, that final day, featuring no fewer than 23 six-hole match play matches, was exciting to the spectators and the players alike. I mean, Brett Rumford said about the tournament, I'm not going to quote him, he said, golf is bigger than one person. If it's going to grow the game, and it's more than just a golf tournament, and it becomes an event in which we're trying to grow this sport with a bit more thrill and excitement about it, then I think as a tour, we've done a great job, end of quote. And it definitely was. I mean, there was the expectation. That added... <laughs> knockout hole that they made on the 18th. It's just 93 meters long for any playoff that they would have to play. Uh, I mean, it was incredible. The expectation, the players, everybody knew it. The fast pace, it was six holes. You know that you have to go out and play. You cannot wait for the other player to make the mistake and then try to catch up. You just have to be in the offense, offense, offense. So you really see the best coming out of those players all the time on that final day. And it measures both things, the best of both worlds. You get the stroke play and the match play in one tournament. It was a great tournament. Uh, everybody has been raving about it. Uh, also, at just 17 years old, Pasharakon Watmai, I have to tell you that he would have been the second youngest player winner in the European Tour history had he got past Rumford in that final but it wasn't meant to be, but the young Thai clearly has a great future in the sport. I mean, I saw him play, and uh, he has talent. He won the 2013 Singhua Hin Open at the ASEAN PGA Tour when he was just 14, and he claimed a title on the Asian Developmental Tour in 2015. So, Fred, mark that name down, Basharakon Watmai. He's one to watch. So your overall feeling on the uh, medal match, the six-hole matches, uh, thumbs up, thumbs down? We're going to see more of it. What, what's your thought? Oh, definitely. This is here to stay. I mean, the, the I I have been reading all over great reviews. The players loved it. I mean, I haven't really – there's going to be the ones that really don't like these changes that Pell is bringing up, but most – of the things that he's implementing, of course, they're new. They're challenging the establishment, but definitely is something that if you saw the the, the that final round, I mean, 
that fast pace, uh, it was great to see the players playing it. They loved it. They loved it. All the quotes that I've seen from the players, they love it. Uh, there's a, an Indian, Indian guy, I don't remember his name right now, but he's he was really bullish about it, and he he finished 24th. <laughs> he said he can't wait to go play it again. I mean, you see a lot of players that have no shot, no shot at winning at all when you're already 24th or that way, that far away, when you then turn to this final day and you're playing uh, a match play and you know that you have a chance to go out there and win four matches and win the tournament, it brings a lot of uh, strategy into play. Hey, I'm not that far, but if I make it to the top 24 in that final day, I can still win. So there, there's a lot of things that go on with this tournament. Of course, you know, the biggest names uh, were not here but, hey, Alex Noren was there. Uh, Louis Heisen was there. There were some other good players there. And I know it's the first one. But this is here for to stay. There's no way this is not going to be here. And next year, I expect it to be more good players coming to this tournament. Cool. Look forward to it. Hey, Carlos, uh, the uh, LPGA got back into action this week. Uh, with a joint sanction event the with the latest European tour, the Australian Women's Open. Um, another South Korean star, 24-year-old Hana Yang, collected her fourth LPGA Tour victory last weekend, down under. Hana also had six Korean Tour victories in five seasons and was the 2013 Player of the Year and won the money list over there. She did it in style down in Australia by going eagle birdie on the final two holes, which capped off a 500-par run for her last six holes at Royal Adelaide. Hana moves ahead of Lexi Thompson to number five on the Rolex Women's World Golf Rankings. She finished third on tour and wins in 2016 with three, and she has a four wins in her last 22 starts on the LPGA Tour. Speaking of the Rolex rankings, Carlos, uh, Lexi is the only American woman in the top ten at number six. Stacey Lewis is the next highest-ranked American and has fallen to number 14. Ng Chun is the highest-ranked Korean at number four, but they hold six of the top ten spots in the rankings. Five other countries are represented in the top ten. Lydia Ko from New Zealand, Maria Jutanagarn from Thailand, Shan Chan Fang, China, Lexi, of course, from the U.S., and Brooke Henderson from Canada. The women moved to Thailand for the Honda LPGA Thailand this week, where Olympic gold medalist winner Envy Park will return after her injury, and you're going to talk about that later in the show. Oh, most definitely, and uh, looking forward to that. Hey, let me tell you now about the Champion Store, where Chubb Classic defending champion Bernard Langer. He came into the 2017 tournament having won the event three times since Red Couples won for the first time in 2010. But despite Langer's near decade of dominance, Couples returned to the top spot for the 30th anniversary, securing his all second all-time Chubb Classic victory in three appearances and his 12th win on the PGA Tour Champions circuit altogether, Couples scored a 216 over three rounds to claim a $240,000 prize. Earning his first victory since the Shaw Charity Classic in 2014, Couples turned in scores of 68, 65, and 67, holding off runner-up Miguel Angel Jimenez, who finished at 203, 13 under, who entered Sunday's final round as the leader, but fell off with a final round of 71. 
Jimenez really never got within two strokes of Couples in the final nine holes, with the two leaders scoring identical marks and numbers 10 to 17, so there was no change from there on. Time for a third place at the 2017 Chop Classic with 11 under totals was Jerry Kelly, Jeff Sluman, and Rod Spittold, followed by four players who finished with 10 underscores, including Bernard Langer. First-time Chop Classic participants David Thompson and John Daly were credited with scores of 209, 7 under, T20, and 211, 5 under, T30, respectively, while tournament veteran Colin Montgomery finished tied for 20th and officially carded his 30th consecutive round under par. With his tournament victory on Sunday, one year after finishing as the Shop Classic runner-up behind Langer in 2016, Fred, Couples has now surpassed Langer for the top spot in the Charles Schwab Cup standings, leading the money list for the first time since July 2010, what is going on? Bernhard Langer is in trouble? That will last long, longer, longer than that. <laughs> Freddie, Freddie will do something to his back, you know, the travel and the play and stuff. It'll, you know, he just can't, he can't maintain for a whole year. I, I'll be very surprised uh, if, uh, if Longer doesn't get back, uh, slip back around uh, Freddie on that. Um, hey, we had another playoff on the web.com tour last week in Panama. Andrew Putnam, buried the first hole of a sudden death to win the Panama Claro Championship in a playoff over Chris Baker. Putnam, who earned his second career Web.com Tour victory, collected a check for 112000 and moved into the top spot on the money list. He's pretty much assured uh, earning one of the 25 cards for the PGA Tour next year, so that will be a return for him. He's been on the tour before. At the end of regulation, Putnam and Baker were tied at 13 and a par. Both players did their drives in the fairway, but Baker getting a first crack flew to the top of the flew to the top tier where the flag was located, but it rolled back down the ledge to about 30 feet. Putnam's second was right on the pin, barely made a green. I'm sorry, that was a Baker that that rolled back down. Putnam's second was right on the pin, barely made it to the green, settled 12 feet from the hole. Baker missed his putt. Putnam rolled his in. He's the winner. A couple of familiar names, uh, Jason Gore and Jonathan Bird, were in the field of Panama last week, both PGA Tour veterans, and they're looking to get back to the big tour uh, sooner than not later. Carlos, that wraps up what I have for the uh, backspin tonight, unless you have something else. Well, with that, we'll wrap up our weekend backspin. We're going to take our first short break. When we come back, we have the Par 5 News, so you don't want to go away. Stay right there. Thank you for listening. We'll be right back. In the meantime, don't forget to visit www.edraft.com for analysis, breaking news, and more. Also, remember to follow us on Twitter at eDraftSports and on Facebook at facebook.com backslash eDraftSports. Now, back to the show. back and now it's time for the par five news and fred as usual have the tee shot tell us all about it yeah before i start that carlos i just want to mention uh um we need to uh remind folks that they can get back nine report tv on roku 
uh, it's a little different take on the golf news and views. Uh, so uh, there's a sign-in, a way to download Roku if you have that uh, uh, option for your smart TV, and then search for Back 9 Report TV, uh, and uh, we would be happy if you could do that. Hey, Carlos, everyone knows that the death of Arnold Palmer last September left a huge hole in the golf world. Without him sitting by the 18th green at Bay Hill or riding around the grounds on his cart, the tournament just won't be the same. Five familiar names have volunteered to help host this year's API. Graham McDowell, Annika Sorenstam, Peter Jacobson, Curtis James, and former U.S. Secretary of Homeland Security Tom Ridge, who was a longtime friend of Palmer's. All four of these players involved have won a major championship on the PGA Tour, PGA Tour champions, or the LPGA Tour. The quintet will play many roles, including hosting pro-am parties and handing out the trophy to the winner, being around, schmoozing, all that good stuff. There will also be a ceremony for Palmer on Wednesday of tournament week. Arnold was a force of nature on and off the course, Graham McDowell said. We can't fill his shoes, but we can carry on his passion for helping others. I live with my family in Orlando, and my children were born at Winnie Palmer Hospital. So I've been a direct beneficiary of Arnold's charitable legacy. I'm honored to be part of such a remarkable event. Carlos, I really expect Annika Sorenstan to eventually take over as the honorary host for the event in the future. She is very appreciative of the work that the Winnie Palmer, Arnold Palmer Children's Hospital is doing, and personally witnessed their miracles when her son, Will, was born prematurely and needed care. The Arnold Palmer invitation will be played March 16th through 19th at Bay Hill, and that's not that far away, Carlos. No, it's not far away. It's just right there around the corner. And, no, definitely, I mean, <laughs> you see now. I remember once uh, I was I had this job, and they, I have been saying, you know, I need some help. I need like two more people to help me. And I remember my boss saying, no, you can do it. When I got moved to <laughs> to another position, they got two people to do the job that I was doing. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Gracious. So, so, yeah, that, that happens. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's the way that we see now how, I mean, Arnold Palmer cannot, cannot be substituted by anybody right now. It will take more than three people. I mean, he... He did it for so long and so many people that he touched. I mean, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen anytime well, soon. You know, we saw, it, we saw it the last few years that he had the tournament when he was alive. He mm-hmm. would work himself to a frazzle during tournament week, making all the appearances, doing all the things that he wanted to do. Yes, he loved doing them, and, and yes, he felt an obligation to do it, but he ended up in the hospital the last few years after the tournament because he would just wore himself. He just totally exhausted himself. So it's a lot of work. It really is. And I, I, I know I see Jack Nicholas uh, down here at the Memorial every year and, and what, that, what he puts in. And, I, and in addition to all the other stuff, I know he's involved in what's going on with the course. I know he's got a great superintendent. I know him lets, he lets him do his job. But you know that Jack's involved in, in exactly what's going on with every area of that tournament. Uh, you just know that. So it's, it is a lot of work for these guys. It really is. Most definitely. Hey, let's talk a little bit about Jordan Spieth. 
You know, his convincing victory at the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am last weekend signaled that he may have regained the confidence he showed when he won back-to-back majors in 2015. Spieth also saw a subtler, encouraging sign at Riviera Country Club this past weekend when he was working on his putting last Monday in advance of the Genesis Open with his coach, Cameron McCormick. Spieth said, and I quote, Cameron was kind of getting frustrated with the practice green. The ball was kind of going off right, going off left when my stroke was fine. I'm normally the one getting frustrated, and he has to calm me down. I just feel loose. I just feel free-flowing, end of quote. Hey, this is good news for Spieth, who's just 23, and potentially bad news for the rest of the PGA Tour field. Uh, As you might remember, 2015, Spieth won the Masters and the U.S. Open back-to-back and then finished tied for fourth. They're at the end in the British Open and second on the PGA Championship. But in 2016, despite a second-place finish in the Masters and two tournament victories, uh, Spieth lost his dominance. But that may be changing. He said last Tuesday that he feels as confident in his game now as he was feeling going back to 2015. And how he has regained that confidence and the form that propelled him to a four-stroke victory at the Pebble Beach on Sunday and his first win of the year? Well, not long after Tom Brady helped author the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history, his phone buzzed with one of what was undoubtedly hundreds of text messages. This particular one came from Jordan Spieth, who was a friend through their mutual Under Armour allegiances. He didn't just want to say congratulations to the New England Patriots quarterback, though. He wanted to elaborate on what he had witnessed. And he confided last Tuesday afternoon, and I quote, he said, I texted him right after the Super Bowl, obviously saying that was really inspiring what he was able to do, and I wanted to replicate it, end of quote. Spieth indicated He's done a couple of things after that, including more closely studying the statistical breakdown of his game. He feels inspired by that. Another change that he's done, he's quickened his pace after being identified as a slow player. And after his Pebble Beach victory, he said that he got a flurry of text messages, including two from at least, you know, how to know something about sustaining success that would be New England Patriot quarterback Tom Brady and Golden State Warriors guard Stephen Carey, both of whom are also sponsored by Under Armour. You know, game recognizes game, as they say, and the Super Bowl MVP just wanted to say congratulations to his friend. But what was Speed's response to that? Well, he explained with full sincerity, I quote, I haven't gotten back to him yet. (laughs) That's right. A famous friend, the guy who just orchestrated the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history, and that you sent a message to him saying that he inspired you, he sent a message and Speed just put it aside. And just to put it in a Patriots parlance, he must do his job. You know, he, he had other things to do. So in other words, he was on to Riviera. But even cooler for Speed, he appears to be rounding into the form that once led some fans to wonder if he might develop into the Tom Brady or Stephen Carey of golf and win a third major. Fred, the one thing I have always admired about Spieth is that just like Brady and Kerry, he might not be the most athletic or most physically gifted player out there, but he does have a superb mental toughness and fiery competitiveness that only the great ones have. And if he continues like this, there's no reason why not to think and believe that he can become the dominant figure that once was expected from him. 
Yeah, that is definitely his strength, his competitive nature, and that putter. Uh, he is by far the best long putter on tour. There is no question about that. Um, and when he gets up around the greens, he just he just knows he's going he's going to get it up there by the hole if if not in. So he just doesn't leave himself a lot of difficult four and five footers on second pots. He is he is a great putter, but he really is a very competitive person. And from everything I've ever read or heard about Tom Brady, he is exactly the same way. He just he drives himself to compete. He loves he loves that kind of atmosphere. Hey, Carlos, uh, the LA Open, now the Genesis Open, has a history of offering sponsor exemptions to uh, deserving young players, and so it was this year. As we mentioned earlier in the show in the backspin section, um, they uh, gave an exemption. Well, let's go back. Let's, let's go back here in time a little bit. It, it's 1990. There's an L.A. kid, a freshman in high school, that's tearing up the golf scene. He's winning everything in sight. Um, he's still too young. Stanford wasn't on the radar yet. Hello World was still five years down the road or six. You know, and, and the tournament director, the old L.A. Open, the old Nissan, wanted to give uh, Tiger Woods an invitation to play, and but officials buck not. A 14-year-old kid, no, we're not doing that. There's no way. So he goes out to the Monday qualifier and, and only misses qualifying by one shot uh, to get into him. So needless to say, the next year, 1991, he was in. They gave him an invitation, and, of course, the rest is history. Well, you know, they're still giving out exemptions and looking for worthy people, and, and they have the Charlie Sifford exemption now. And so this year they gave that to Kevin Hall. Um, and that, uh, you know, that doesn't mean much uh, except for the fact that he's been deaf since the age of two. The Charlie Sifford exemption is an annual exemption which provides an opportunity for a top golfer who represents the advancement of diversity in golf and wouldn't otherwise be eligible to compete in the event. In 2009, the inaugural tournament exemption was named in honor of Charlie Sifford on the 40th anniversary of his victory at the 1969 Northern Trust Open. Sifford was a championship golfer and instrumental in desegregating the PGA. Kevin Hall was a top-ranked junior player and was the first ever African-American to play on a golf scholarship at the Ohio State University. A point that you made to me last week, and I had to follow up on Carlos. He was the Big Ten golf champion in 2004, playing for Ohio State. He now plays professionally on the Swing Thought Pro Golf Tour and Advocates Pro Golf Tour. Although he's been deaf since age two, he's never let his hearing impairment impede his ability to thrive and communicate with others. He concedes his lack of hearing presents challenges, but has mainly served to help him use all of his other senses and abilities. I learned pretty quick I was going to have to work harder because I was deaf, Hall said. As I mentioned, I talked with a friend of his last weekend here in Toledo, and they were texting back and forth, and he said his nerves really got to him. He, he shot rounds of he had a 79 in the first round, which is a beautiful day, the best scoring conditions all week. Then he followed up with a 72. He missed a cut. But he did have a week to remember, and 
no matter what else he goes on to accomplish in his golfing career, he's always going to have this to look back on, Carlos. <laughs> that is a great story. I mean, uh, it's great to see uh, Kevin playing, and hopefully he can do a lot much better than what he's doing right now. And Let's see. We'll, we'll keep an eye on him and see what he can achieve. Maybe this is going to give him the confidence, you know, to kind of get over the next yeah. step and, and, and get on to web.com and, you know, uh, make his way up the, up the rank a little bit. I mean, at 34, yeah, he's yeah. getting kind of long in the tooth, but he's still got a couple years left. Yeah, I mean, there there have been some other players that we've seen that have been uh, maturing or being successful late. So, I mean, it's not like it's over his career. And like you say, maybe in the web.com tour, maybe reach – the PGA Tour is it's not far-fetched. He can make it. And like you say, he, he just might have been needing that pat in the back that he's getting. And now he can gain some confidence and, and go out there and play and, and make it great. So we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll keep an eye on him and definitely keep telling you everything that happens with Kevin. Hey, let me tell you something. When you say the name Keith Paley, that's a name that right now is getting a lot of people uncomfortable and less than thrilled. But there's also many others that love what he's doing to change the, the world of golf as we know it and can't wait to see what he has in store next. I am one of them. Keith Pelly, he was an out-of-the-box choice to become the CEO of the European Tour, and not just because he is an European. He's 53, is a proud Canadian who cut his teeth in his home country sports and media worlds. He was a running back for a minor league football team in Toronto and went on to become a top executive in the Canadian Football League. Subsequent stints at two large sports media firms imbued him a big-picture view that often eludes the Tweety types who have tended to rise through the ranks of golf's bureaucracies. But since taking over the Euro Tour in April of 2015, Pelly has caught a stylish figure as he tries to modernize a global brand that this season will be visiting a mind-boggling 27 countries. You know, professional golf has long consisted of 72-hole tournaments played over four days, something that will have to change if the game wants to reach a new generation of fans, and that's what Keith Pelly has been preaching. The tourist executive uh, Keith Pelly has pledged to shake up the European Tour circuit since taking over from George O'Grady, and a couple of innovative tournaments this year are part of that effort. We already talked about one, and that's the World Super 6, uh, which was played uh, this past weekend at Perth Lake Carriamp course in Western Australia. And uh, after the usual three days of stroke play, the $1.35 million tournament ended on Sunday with 24 players competing at a match play in six holes playoffs until one remains. Although the tournament is making that grandiose pledge to revolutionize golf, the change is more evolution than revolution. A more radical shift will take place in May at the Golf Sixes Tournament in Hertfordshire in England. Two-man teams will compete in six-hole matches over a two-day weekend with pyrotechnics and music and players hooked up to microphones to boost fan engagement. The new tournaments have been written off as gimmicky by critics, but Pelly says golf needs to find a way to reach a millennial generation that grew up with smartphones social media, and truncated attention spans. He also says that he wants a Thursday-Friday payoff. 
they say that they want immediate gratification and they want to be able to get immediate results and they want to follow things that are meaningful because there's such a saturation of content. And right now the Thursdays and Fridays are not as meaningful as they need to be. So they, they yes, they position you to the weekend, but they, he sees no result and there's no payoff at the end of it. So he's turning his attention to see what he can do to address that next year in 2018 about Thursday and Friday because as he says they need more engagement they need higher ratings and who doesn't that's the worldwide challenge for every tour with 72 holes played over four days fixture it's a fixture at most tournaments for over a century so instant gratification is not a feature of professional golf watching for multiple days before a winner emerges is a heavy commitment for casual fans So Pelly said that the 72-hole golf would remain sacrosanct at the four major championships, but he foresees lower-profile tournaments making way for a faster format on golf on the European Tour. He has also uh, already struck some strategic alliances, especially with the PGA Tour of Australasia, that where he did in a joint statement there that that new alliance will see both the European Tour and the PGA Tour of Australasia combine to explore ways of uh, exploring their marketing and commercial results to maximize the potential growth of the, of the game in that region. And as you know, the PGA Tour had expanded already to Latin America and Canada in the 2012 and China in 2014. So uh, the European Tour is already setting up a top-level co-sanctioned events on those places and is getting closer to the vision of a world tour than anything else in golf. They're visiting 27 countries. That's five more than the LPGA tour. So <laughs> they are really getting close to that. And Keith Pelley, he definitely, Fred, he's shaking up the world of golf. Some people call it gimmicky. I'm telling you, he's onto the right track and he's shaking it up the right way. Well, I got to tell you, First of all, this stuff ain't going to happen on the PGA Tour. Maybe in December for a made-for-TV deal on the weekend, you know, when there's nothing else going on. Um, Can you see, can you just see the Blue Blazer khaki slacks guys at uh, the USGA headquarters in Far Hills, New Jersey, can you see them sitting around talking about this stuff? Uh, adopting these kind of ideas, no, that that is never going to happen, Carlos. I'm telling you right now. What, what would you do? What would you do if you see your top players moving to play on that on those places because those are getting a lot of ratings, getting a lot of money, and all that? What would you do then? Well, it's all about the money, uh, you know. And he and we talked about this. He's got to do this stuff to get more attention to get his sponsors to pay more money. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he's really started something. The best thing he's done is that Rolex series. Uh, you know, he's picked seven tournaments that get the bigger purses. He's got Rolex to buy in and do that. That's the best thing he's done. Um, I, I'm sorry I did not get to see this Super 6 with a match play. Um, I played uh, years ago. I used to play in some tournaments. If you had a, a, a two- or three-day qualifier uh, medal play to get into the top 16 to get in match play for the weekend, 
Um, I really did enjoy those. Uh, it was a different mindset. You really didn't play to win the medal play. You just played to get in the top 16. And then uh, once you're in the medal, in the match play, then, you know, it's, it's everything goes. So, And then where you had that, the six holes, you were playing a couple matches uh, at a time. Um, that, that had to be kind of unique. But um, for the USGA, uh, you know, those guys are pretty uh, dyed in the wool, uh, pretty traditional. Uh, they're not going to do some of this stuff. The PGA Tour, I don't see them changing that much. You know, they they like their annual match play they do with the WGC, but, um, you know, they grouch and growl about that thing. That You know, they had to change it around because it used to be they play one match and they were gone. Now they at least, at least get to play a couple, three matches before they're out of there. So... Um, you know, I, I just don't see this stuff happening in PGA Tour now. You know, if but it's going to take five to ten years for him to for Pelly to have an effect with larger purses on the European Tour. It just ain't going to happen overnight. Now I will not qualify that, Carlos, because I keep looking for. I'm really surprised that some that several big money Chinese or a Japanese or Korean, some Asian conglomeration doesn't get together and really throw a bunch of money at a new golf tour, a new Asian thing, buy up the Asian and European tour, you know, something. Because you know there's a lot of money over there, and there's a lot of interest in golf. So um, they could come in and buy a bunch of sponsorships, take over some of the tournaments, that kind of thing, and that could make a real difference. So if, you, if you're a top golfer and you have the opportunity to play in the United States in a, in a PGA Tour event with a $6 million purse, or you could play in Japan or uh, Korea or someplace for a $20 million purse, what are you going to do? You're going to go play for the 20. Uh, and that's when, that's when the PGA Tour is going to be hurting and they're going to start looking around. And this may be what the European Tour is trying to get to. It's going to take them a while to get there. But I really think the key to this whole thing, Carlos, is Asia. Uh, there's a lot of money there, and I'm really surprised they haven't put the stuff together to do it yet. Well, I don't think I, – I think that they are not going to do it. I think that the European Tour is already – that's what Keith Pelley's doing. That's what he's trying to get and achieve with all these alliances that he's setting up so that he gets the control and he's getting closer to this thing about that really world tour. And yeah, yes, the thing those, is Europe's, those... Europe's broke. Europe doesn't have any money. Nobody in Europe's got any money. Uh, well, he's getting, he's getting, he's getting, when, if you get the attention, there's a lot of worldwide, uh, uh, powerful companies that can spend money. Okay. So if you get the attention and you get the, the, the ratings and you get, which is what he's doing right now. Okay, I, I don't doubt that he's going to achieve that. You know, a lot of things, you know, there's a, a lot of things with these new ideas are just thrown out like, no, that's not going to happen. Yeah, that's, <laughs> he is getting the attention. Uh, people just don't want to see it, but he's getting the attention in the world. Maybe not here, but they'll start to pay attention. Remember when when the World Golf Championship uh, was introducing the World Match Play back in 1999? There was traditionalists yep. that rejoiced at that idea of the greatest golfers in the world playing the greatest format of the game. But uh, then what happened? Jeff Margaret winning, cried the monument, 
Kevin Sutherland winning three years later, hauled by the fans. Uh, Peter O'Malley dumping Tiger Woods in the first round. The sponsors went down. They were calling yep. for disaster that was going to happen. Man, we have yep. to dump this. They're still playing it. They're still playing it. You know, it sounds familiar. It mimics that a lot of things that happen with a lot of great ideas. That, and But if he sticks to it, it is, we're talking about a great businessman here that knows what he's doing. It's different because he's challenging the establishment. But I would not go as far as saying, I, I'm not going to go as far and saying that the PGA Tour is going to implement it. But he's going to change, make them change the way that they're thinking. I don't think that they will do that. They will have to do some other changes, uh, but he's going to make them change some things that they're doing. I don't expect them to, to mimic the same thing about the six holes and all that he's doing, but there are some things that are attracting the millennials and the players are buying into it, which is the important thing. They're buying into it. And a lot of other players have said already that next year they're going to go to the super six in Perth because they saw the the fun that was that that format they saw how the people reacted to it especially there in Australia who was the one that that have seen the the the, the rugby 2020 right <laughs> they can they can they're they're gonna like anything so that's that's a good way to I mean the 2020 cricket not the rugby the 2020 cricket uh, and that's a good place he's making those alliances with the Australasia also with the Asian I think that he's trying to hook them up to try to do what you're saying about getting a tour. I think that we're closer to seeing a world tour from them. Already they are 27 countries. So I think he's onto something. I wouldn't go as far as discounting him just right out. Yeah. I'm not discounting him. I mean, he's, you know, he has definitely raised the uh, media presence of the European tour. You know, we're, we're talking about him. You know, we're looking, we're watching. And so uh, he's definitely got our attention, uh, but he needs more money. Uh, and he's doing this to get more money, and, and hopefully that will come for him because that, that's what he's got to have, you know, and he's in, to be in competition with the PGA Tour. Hey, Carlos, um, I'm going to try and get through this next story. Um, I even had trouble uh, writing it up. So, um you know, everyone remembers the story of Billy Hurley's father uh, disappearing in July of 2015. Uh, he was found okay in, in Texas uh, a few days later, uh, though no one could quite figure out what he was doing there. And then just a couple weeks later, he committed suicide in, in August. Hurley has been on an emotional roller coaster since and took the initiative to write a heart-wrenching letter to his deceased father last week, and he posted it to the playerstribune.com. He's, you know, hoping to bring about some closure, uh, celebrate the father he knew who loved to watch him play golf and, and watch his other children grow and prosper. Hurley said in his letter, When I think about you and your life, my mind is flooded with memories. I think of you coming home from work in the evenings and compulsively repairing things around the house, a doorknob, the gutters, a window frame. I think of our wiffle ball games in the front yard with me and my three siblings playing until it was too dark to see the ball. But most of all, I think of your golf lessons. From when I first started getting serious about the game, our backyard served as our family's personal driving range. 
We didn't have much space. It was pretty barren out there. We didn't have grass. We didn't have any balls. But we did have floodlight in my set of clubs. Each lesson went the same way. I'd finish my homework, step out of the back deck. You'd follow me out after putting down your police uniform, your 10-hour shift having just ended or sometimes about to begin. The floodlight on the house would cast your long shadow across the floorboards toward the yard into the darkness. I would take my stance, fiddle with my grip, and wag the club head just inches above the deck. And then your voice would cut through the silence. All right, Billy, take a swing. This is the way Carlos, the son, wants to remember his father, not thinking about him face down in a ditch, dying from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. You know, Hurley's father was in law enforcement. He always saw things in black and white. And Billy went on to write, but sometimes things are gray. There are no clear answers. It's been 18 months since you took your own life, and I've been thinking a lot about the best way to honor you. Initially, I thought I would write your last few weeks in an attempt to try and understand what compelled you to do what you did. But a lot of people have already tried that. The truth is, I just don't know, and I probably will never know. When I think of you, those backyard practice sessions over our weekend rounds at the local course are always what come to mind. So much of our relationship was predicated on 14 clubs and a tiny white ball. So much of our love was shaped by what happened over 18 holes. That's what I remember, and that's how I'll remember you. Hurley goes on to chronicle several different parts of his life with his father, mostly centered around golf. But Hurley's life took a major turn last year when he won the Quicken's Loan, in, uh, Quicken Loan Tournament, became a PGA Tour champion, and earned his first trip to the Masters. Hurley says, I think you'll be proud of everything that happened that day and everything else that followed. This coming April, I'll be playing my, my first ever Masters. It's true, Dad, the Masters. I'll be thinking about you a lot that week. I wish you could be there like you always were after my round, standing beside the 18th green at Augusta, embracing me with an outstretched arm. And the look. At your funeral, I said your legacy isn't what you took your life, but that you brought faith into our family. I know one day I will see you again. I know this is not the end. I truly believe that. I miss you, Dad. I love you. And one final thing, I need you to know I forgive you. Your legacy will live forever. So, Carlos, you know, you can see I can struggle with this thing. I can't believe that you could sit down and write something like this. Uh, it's just, you know, I'm, evidently he has struggled with it for 18 months. He's trying, he's gotten through it. The wind, he said in the thing that the wind really helped him move on. He has his own family now. Um, and so he's moving on, and, and hopefully this does bring him closure. But, man, this is really uh, really well written, and if somebody wants to, uh, all they need to go to is the uh, theplayerstribune.com, or if they just Google Bert Bailey Hurley, uh, they can find it uh, and, and read it for yourself. But it's, uh, it is really gut-wrenching. Oh, man. <laughs> I don't know what to say. I'm choked up here. <laughs> oh man, that that's really tough. Really tough, but I can feel oh, I I'm just going to go for the next one. <laughs> I cannot talk okay. either. Yeah. Let's take yeah. a break and uh when we come back, hopefully we'll be able to gather ourselves and and, and 
and go for the practice range. Don't go away. Thank you for listening to the Back Nine Report presented by eDraft.com. We'll be right back. Don't forget to check out our co-hosts on Twitter by clicking their names in the episode description. Now, back to the show. And we're back, and now it's time for the practice range for every week. Fred and I pick a topic, and each of us take our own shots at it. That's why we call it the practice range. And this week, our topic is, does the average golfer see results from better technology, especially with the driver? Well, let me, let me start by saying I am a former equipment junkie. I feel I am no longer hornswoggled by the advertisers or tempted by a club maker's new adjustable face. Lower center of gravity, reduced pain, longer carry, lighter shaft, more penetrating flight, wider club head for better contrast, higher MOI or COR, or similar spacecraft technology on the market today. Nor do I feel like a loser for not having the latest and the greatest you know, golf balls are purposely not included in this uh, discussion that I'm going to have with you as they are replaced after just a few holes anyway, <laughs> or every shot. In some cases, depending on your level of slice, if it's like mine, uh, I have to bring like a couple of packs with me. So, uh, so that's why I'm not going to talk about them. But let, let, let's say, you know, the iron. I mean, if we weren't searching for the magic swing bean or the secret, we would still be playing those now illegal high-tech square grouping I2s from the early 80s. Uh, I constantly hear people talk about the old I2s. Uh, they were well-balanced. The distances were on par with forgings. They stuck like super glue on the greens or were actually easy to hit. Do we replace the irons like we do the beloved driver that we adore so much and we get a new one every year, I mean six months? No, do we toss them out, we give them away, throw them in the woods, water trash after a bad round, or chastise them like we do our collection temp potters? No, but we tend to buy things in patterns. And uh, let's say, you know, the wedges, are they really part of the set iron? Aside from that Volki and the 588s, there have been many innovations since. Why so much iron innovation for the high handicapper, yet we still all play blade wedges? One of the hardest clubs to hit, and arguably the second most important club in the bag. But there has been little advancement as a removable face inserts, crazy offsets, hosels, spinner shafts, and progressive bounce formations. The driver, let's take a poll. Come on, let's tell me how many drivers do you have? Five, eight, ten or more? How often do you find yourself saying, if I only had that new tailor-made, I could blast it past all those fellas? <laughs> Confess it, you know you do. Also, how much did you pay for those eight irons compared to what you pay for one driver? Drivers are the largest consumer cash grab market. For guys, we simply can resist hitting something farther than our competitors. They play in our ego. They cling to every year to a 10% or 12 yards or 30% tighter dispersion than previous models for which they sell or still charge over $300. 
Bottom line is that there is a maximum coefficient of restitution. Doesn't matter what you're going to do with it. That's the maximum that you're going to have. But I have to say, stop spending your money on new equipment. Get fit with the equipment you have now. Spend 40 bucks a month on a range membership. Also, find an instructor that doesn't charge an arm and a leg for a recurring package of lessons who gives you reachable goals, practice drills, and a routine just like Fred does. How is that self-taught swing going for you? Set up a practice schedule within your limited free time and dig it out of the dirt. Read one golf a book a month. There is a 10,000 our rule in all professions and trades. If you want to get good at doing something, you have to learn to the correct way to do it. Then practice that learn motion over and over again. Is a 16-year-old or a 40-year-old a better driver? I know golfers who have dropped 30 strokes in three years by having a focused practice routine, spending a half hour more or five days a week working on fundamentals, shipping and pitching from inside 100 yards. Don't waste your entire bucket of balls pounding driver after drive after drive while on the range and hit the putting green for 40 to 50% of your practice time. You know, Luke Donald could take any of your foursome bags, clubs, and beat you handily with them. Final thought. Technology changes to make more money, but handicaps stay the same because we want to buy a better game instead of putting in the time. Getting better is easy if you're willing to endure the pain to get there. The golf swing is not free, nor it can be purchased. It must be earned. And that's what Mr. Hogan meant by digging it out of the dirt. I still think I could get an extra 20 yards with that new tailor-made matrix. Uh-uh, no way. Go ahead, do it. That's the way you have to do it. I, My opinion is you need to practice. It's not the equipment. It's not the arrow. It's the Indian that is shooting it. Wow. What can I say after that? That was outstanding. I love that. Good job. I need you to write that down. I need that. Good, good piece there, man. Hey, um, you know, what brought all this on, Carlos, was the report from the USGA and the RNA that, uh, you know, about driver distance over the uh, over the three-year period. And um, just to clarify a little bit, the PGA Tour driving district average has gone by 2.8 yards from 2013 to 2016, or seven-tenths of a yard per year. Now, that doesn't seem like much. The PGA Tour champions has seen a 5.7, or double the PGA Tour, uh, nearly 1.5 yards per year over that time. And the web.com is up 2.1 yards since 2013. So it's not the young guys. You know, we talk about, well, maybe fitness is a, is a, is a reason everybody's hitting it farther. Yeah, technology is a little better. Yeah, the ball is a little bit better. And, but maybe these guys are more athletic. Well, um, that would refute that argument because the old guys on the championship store are hitting it farther. So I, I want to bring up one argument here about that, actually, is that for the old guys on the Champions Tour, older guys tend to accept new technology at a slower pace than a younger guy. So I'm thinking that senior tour players are have been just kind of finally embraced the track man and the flight scope and all the technology and are getting better fitted for the correct head, uh, shafts, launch angles, spin rates, 
matching the right ball with their club to gain a bigger increase in driving. I, I really think that's where it is. I think it's a combination of things. And those guys finally just accepted all that rather than just playing what they like the feel of because uh, I kind of know where they're coming from with that because uh, I haven't embraced all this technology yet myself. The distance report specifically breaks down the distance into several groups. Um, percentage of 300-yard drives is tracked on the European Tour and PGA Tour. Um, most notable is how the PGA Tour, with 31.2% of its drives longer than 300 yards in 2016, shows a 17, that's up 17% since 2003. So, you know, I think the ball comes into this also, Carlos, because the, uh, the technology, the improvements in the golf ball uh, have made a big, big difference in the distance also. So, one of the things that we got out of this thing is that um, looking at this report from the USGA and the RNA is that guys with really fast swing speeds, guys like Dustin Johnson, Bubba Watson, uh, the long hitters, they have seen a greater, an exponential return, if you will, greater distance, greater benefit off the tee than a guy with a little bit slower swing speed. So you take a guy like uh, like Luke Donald. We talked about him earlier. He averaged 260 yards at the Genesis Open last week, while um, Dustin Johnson was averaging 313. So 53 yards longer for Dustin Johnson. So why isn't Luke Donald able to hit at 300 yards? You know, he needs roll. He needs the ball to hit and roll. He needs firm conditions for him to get it out there. Uh, same with Zach Johnson. Same with Steve Stricker. But yet these guys are pretty competitive. They get in the right golf course, and, and they're a threat to win. Well, um, there's a point, and I don't know what that point is, and nobody's telling me this, but uh, there's a point where the swing speed and the, and the smash factor – um, jumps up. So like a Dustin Johnson, a Bubba Watson with superior swing speed get more advantage from the ball. They get, they get more compression. They get more um, um, MOI from the club face, more spring, a more vibration on that thing, a bigger trampoline effect, if you will. Um, and they're able to get these, these bigger yardages. You know, um, I think... Um, uh, Jordan Spieth, I think he really only hits at about 275 to 2. You know, he cranks it out there 290. If he gets on hard ground, he gets 300. But he really hits at about 280, 285, I think, consistently. So he's not, you know, he's not the longest guy. He's long enough, but he's not the longest guy. So, you know, yeah, some guys are hitting it farther, um, but some guys are not. And I and I have to tell you, I have not seen an advantage from this new technology, whether it's the ball, whether it's the club. Um, you know, as I get older, uh, it still is not going as far. Um, I'm not as flexible, and it just, doesn't, it just doesn't happen. So, Carlos, for me, I'm not seeing a large increase in distance from the technology as advanced over the five, last five to seven years. As I age, I continue to become shorter from the tee, and it just all the technology in the world just can't seem to change that fact. So, 
if you're young, strong, and flexible, I think being fit is for a proper club will help your distance and your game. And you can see big improvement quickly. But for the average golfer, no miracle club is going to make everyone a Dustin Johnson or Bubba Watson and hit it 300 yards at will. So we are kind of in agreement on that. Um, and um, I think anybody that's out there looking just to go, but I, we, they, had a, they had a giveaway. One of the uh, vendors at the golf show last weekend went out and bought a new uh, thing, Epic Driver. The price tag on that thing was four ninety nine. $499. I, I have never paid, you know, my clubs didn't used to cost that much. I, you know, they're a little bit, my whole bag now is a little bit more than that now if we had them all up. But, but, uh, but man, that's, that's a lot of money for one club. I would never, I would never pay that, I, you know. And, you know, to buy these PXGs where they're like $7,000 for the set. <laughs> that was, that know, was what I was going to tell you. Are you going to get the luck. PXGs ever? Yeah, no, unless they give them to me uh, for a sponsor deal, no, uh, no. <laughs> I'll take them for a sponsorship, though, just in case they're listening. You know, if they want to give me a call, I'll, I'll talk. <laughs> yeah, I, I can get it. If, if they want, I, uh, you know, he's the GoDaddy owner, so I can uh, I can tell Bob Parsons, say hey, I can do some, some websites if you give me some PXG golf clubs. Well, there you go. But no, no, I, I agree. I mean, I don't see uh, any any changes. To me, my opinion remains the same. This is just about making money and uh, marketing and all that. I I used to be an equipment junkie. Let me get the newest one there, but I saw no difference <laughs> at all. So uh, I stopped. I stopped. So with me, I'm not a, a consumer of that. It's not going to take me anywhere. You know... To continue to continue this though, um, something new that has come out on the market and kind of got my attention a little bit. I have not tried it. I don't. I really don't know. I don't have any experience with it. But you know, we have the interview here with Ruben Hanan from Vertical Groove that we're going to play, and uh, he has kind of a little different idea that he's going to talk about in the interview, uh, where the Vertical Groove helps the dispersion rate. So if you can help that and maybe get a little cleaner hit, you might pick up some yards and keep it in the fairway a little bit if that vertical, if the vertical groove idea uh, works as, as, uh, as he has said. Well, let's, let's play that interview then to, to see what he was saying and this that you're saying. So let's play the interview with Ruben Hanna, Hennen from Vertical Groove. We are happy to welcome the co-founder and managing partner of the Vertical Groove Company, Ruben Hannon, to Back Nine Report. Ruben, uh, thanks so much for taking a couple of minutes to talk to us today. I uh, appreciate you having me. It's been uh, it's been a great you know early run for the company, and uh, we're excited to be able to speak you know obviously to your listeners about the company. Well, it seems like every time I turn around, I am reading something or hearing something about the Vertical Groove driver. So would you please tell us a little bit about how the company got started? came across this technology a couple of years ago. It was actually uh, in an estate of one of the premier inventors in golf, <clears throat> Tony Antunis, who actually invented <clears throat> the Velcro and the golf glove. And when he passed away in 07, all his patents went into his estate. He had over 400 patents, and this was the only patent that still had life left on it. 
And when we came across it, uh, we had the same aha moment as everybody else. Like, why didn't I think of that? Because uh, every every other club in the world is horizontal grooves. So the vertical groove for me, you know, obviously, you know, the light bulb went off, and we decided to go out and and test it un- immediately just to validate if this technology was real or not out at Golf Labs in San Diego, which is the number one third-party testing facility in the country. And the numbers came back with, you know, better dispersion rates than a lot of the majors, better distance, you know, better ball speed. So we we knew we had something and decided to go out and raise the capital to uh, to build a business, and, and that's where we are today. Well, looking at some of the numbers, I think you were saying that your your literature promotes that you, you the, the vertical groove initiates a lot less side spin. So you get up to a 40% straighter ball flight. Uh, for someone that maybe is hitting the ball 270 to 300, uh, generating club head speed and any little bit of side spin could mean 20 yards left or right. So 40%, uh, you could you could take a lot of that problem away. Yeah, I mean, on average, it's up to 40%. I mean, we tested it, uh, obviously, center hits, heel hits, toe hits, and on average, we were up to 40% straighter than uh, the three major clubs on the market when we tested it. But, you know, what we're seeing from amateurs, you know, as you know, if, if the club head comes uh, straight through the ball, um, you're going to get a much straighter ball flight. It's the axis of the head, you know, when the ball connects uh, with the head of the club where the ball is going to go right or left. But what we're seeing is a much straighter dispersion uh, down the fairway versus a lot of the big slices and hooks that, that a lot of, you know, amateurs have. I mean, most amateurs have an outside-in swing, so the head comes across the ball and the ball spins off to the right. That's where you're getting your slice. The vertical grooves are actually catching that ball at the point of contact, and the harmonics of our head, which is a 450cc, which is a little bit smaller than the traditional heads that are out there today at 460, all of the harmonics of that, coupled with the vertical grooves, we're getting a much straighter dispersion. So if someone's hitting it 20, you know, 20 yards to the right, uh, we're seeing, you know, 5 to 10. Um, so we're getting a much straighter dispersion down the fairway. And a lot, of, a lot of amateurs are actually feeling more confident with the vertical groove driver, so they're swinging harder. Obviously, faster swing speed meets, you know, further distance as well. So uh, we're getting, the, you know, really, uh, you know, the best of both worlds right now. But obviously having, uh, you know, having it validated on tour uh, is also helping us as well. Conventional drivers today, um, you know, kind of promote kind of an upswing at the at the ball when it's on the tee with the driver, which tries to make the ball come up with less spin, so that it gets that longer carry in the air. So your driver with the vertical grooves, that's not really maybe necessary. More hitting at the bottom or even a little bit uh, on the downswing uh, should promote a good straight flight. It does. I mean, that's, that's you know, an interesting way to look at it. I mean, you know, what we're seeing, again, is just, you know, better dispersions down the fairway, um, and that's not just from the professionals that are playing it. Uh, it's all the way to the high handicappers as well. Um, like I said, the majority of golfers that are, you know, high handicaps, you know, have, a, have an outside-in swing, and, you know, that's, it's, you know, it's a slicing world. And, you know, this, not that it self-corrects, obviously, but that's what the ball flight looks like. It looks like it comes right back into the fairway. So we're getting a much straighter dispersion than, you know, any other club uh, that we've tested against. You've gained some serious visibility the past couple months by signing up some big names, uh, two-time major champion uh, uh, John Daly, uh, defending senior PGA champion Rockwell Mediate, 
a global ambassadors for the company, and they're going to use the, the vertical groove driver on the various tours around the world. So that should even give you some more uh, credibility and visibility in the golf world. It does. I mean, having anybody on tour validate that you're a real company. Obviously, you have to have you know, conforming with the USGA, which to us was everything. Um, and the fact that we conform with the USGA means that the club can be played on all tours. And obviously, John Daly being you know the longest driver on tour, and and Rocco being very consistent in, in regards to a lot of his wins recently, uh, give us that validation. But what it's done is it's opened up opportunities. I mean, Mark Kalkovecchia played it this week at the uh, Allianz. Tim Petrovic played it this week at the Allianz, and a lot of the uh, the senior guys are coming to us now because they're looking for a driver that they can control and, and hit down the fairway. So, uh, I you know, I look at uh, the future as being very bright for vertical groove golf and having not only the champion tour players, but uh, getting a lot of the PGA players to uh, come on board as well. You were telling me before we, we started taping that uh, you're heading over to Naples for the uh, Chubb uh, next week. So you're going to be out on the range talking with the guys and, and explaining your club to more of the the champions to our players we're actually making uh six clubs right now for uh six more guys and uh you know again it just it, these guys are all about feel and our club feels great uh, obviously the aesthetics look fantastic the sound off the club is better than any other club sound that you'll hear from a ball coming off of a driver so these guys are looking for something that really feels good that fits into their niche and and uh, we're able to customize all the clubs that we do in jupiter so we can you know react very quickly uh, we're the only company on this coast uh, of the United States. Everybody else is really traditionally in Carlsbad uh, or, you know, in California. And, uh, you know, we're able to react. So we, we manufacture everything in Jupiter. We customize it not only for the professionals but amateurs. And uh, at vertgolf.com, you, you know, you build your club, and, we you know, we build it that day and, and ship it out that day. Pros are jumping on board. Are you hearing anything from amateurs or guys, uh, regular players that are out there buying your club and trying it out for the first time? Yeah, like I said, it's, you know, it's a phenomenon because most most golfers, the amateurs, aren't as confident in their driver as they are in some of their other clubs. So you'll see them use woods off the uh, the tee box and sometimes even irons because they're just not comfortable with their driver. What we're seeing with the vertical groove driver is now for the first time, they feel like they're more confident because they know the ball's going down the fairway um, so they're swinging harder, which is obviously driving more distance as well. So the dispersion rates down the middle, hitting more fairways, speeding up the game, and enjoying the game is really what we're all about. Um, and we're in the process of building out our woods and hybrids to complement our driver uh, so we have a full family of clubs that, uh, you know, that uh, an amateur can go out and feel really comfortable and confident in their game. So if we want to find out more information about the vertical groove driver, where can we go? vertgolf.com. That's where you can customize your club, uh, see all the different uh, uh, statistics and results that we have with our testing, and uh, and also see around the country where we have indoor facilities that are carrying the club so you can go demo them. Vert, V-E-R-T, golf, G-O-L-F, dot com. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Perfect. Thank you so much, Ruben, for taking a minute to come and talk to us. So we appreciate the information, and uh, good luck with uh, with your startup. Thanks for having us, and uh, encourage everyone to get a vertical group golf driver in their hands. Absolutely. And there you have it. That was Ruben Hannon from Vertical Groove. And you know, after hearing all this, Fred, I, 
I used to think that I was a pretty smart guy, you know. My, I remember my high school gave me a diploma with my name on it and a real brick. <laughs> and Mortal College presented me with a computer science degree. Uh, so I always thought I was smart, but now I'm beginning to get some doubts. I mean, uh, I remember you talking some several weeks ago about the $50 dozen golf ball from Costco out dueling the vaunted Pro V1 head to head. So raise your hand, anybody out there, if you saw that one coming. Election Day, you know, that was clearly a warning shot across the bow, self proclaimed experts everywhere, regardless of subject matter. So what's next? I mean, Bob Dylan winning the Nobel Prize, dogs and cats playing together. So, you know, please, please, Fred, forgive me for hedging my bets when it comes to what might be the craziest looking driver this side of the hammer. Okay. Uh, what? What are you telling me? Vertical grooves on the driver? Wow, that's incredible. I mean, I understand what he's saying about that outside swing, most of the golfers. Yeah, it causes the head to come across the ball, so you get that kind of a side spin, which causes your slice. I know a lot about slicing. Uh, so, yeah, I'm a master at that. So, apparently, what I get here is that those vertical grooves do... What they do is that since most of the people tend to hit the ball towards the heel of the club, right, is that they grab the ball and reduce the spin to keep the ball from slicing so much. So actually I can see the ball go straighter. Come on, I got to I, I got to try this, man. I got to try it. You see? See, and you said, you know, you were a golf, golf club junkie. You got to get back out there. You got to give it a try. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting back can... into this. Oh, you can go on to their good. website, uh, vertgolf.com, and find out where they're having uh, uh, fittings and uh, demo days around the country. They're doing them all over, so I'm sure there's some down there in your area that you could go out and, and swing the club a little bit and check it out. Um, I, I think the concept's kind of unique, actually. Um, the thing with, um, you, you know, I try to make the point in the interview that you know, with traditional horizontal grooves, to make the ball fly farther, they're saying that you need less spin. If you hit down through a ball with a driver, the, the ball compresses onto the face of the club. It jumps into the grooves, and that's what puts the backspin. That's what imparts the, the spin on the ball. So that's what makes it fly, like going up the steps of a ladder. Um, so if you change those, now you wouldn't want to change, you wouldn't want vertical grooves for an iron because you want that spin. You want the ball setting into a, a green or, you know, if the fairway would, you want the ball setting into the fairway. You don't want it running all over the place. But with the driver, when you swing at it, you want it to keep it from going left to right, left or right, you, just, you know, so it, vertical grooves would not impart uh, backspin or overspin, and the ball would come out with a more like a knuckleball or a spinless flight, which should stay in the air longer. And then the vertical groove could alleviate some of the left or right spin to shade off or cut off some of your focus slice. That's the thinking. Well, I'll try it. I'll try it. And it's getting me back into the hardware junkie now. So let's see. <laughs> so anyway, let's. Uh, we got to close quickly here. So yeah, I'm going to go start right away. Yeah, the... are we? We talked too much. Yeah, too much there. 
Hey, Amby Park will return to the LPGA Tour next week after a short hiatus to allow an nagging back injury to heal. She had withdrawn, as you might remember, from the season opening Pure Bahamas Classic three weeks ago with lower back pain, a persistent condition that uh, the former number world number two uh, said at a time that occasionally worsens to the point where it's difficult to play. So she tried to soldier through, shooting a first round of 80 for her worst LPGA round in 80 years. She didn't bother to play the round two, opting to get home, get rest, and get some treatment. So wait for her. She's going to be back. Hopefully she'll be healthy. And uh, pending a healthy outcome next week, the good news is that the start will count towards her satisfying the LPGA rules for maintaining membership at a minimum if she does that this season, she officially qualifies for the LPGA Hall of Fame, having completed 10 seasons on the circuit, which is just really a formality of a piece left after Park earned the 27th and final point needed to qualify for the Hall when she won last year's Bear Trophy for the lowest uh, scoring average. Uh, also, plans for a new practice facility, including a short game area designed by Phil Mickelson, were among the improvements Projects uh, recently announced for Papago Golf in Tempe, Arizona. So Arizona State had signed a 30-year agreement to use Papago as its home for its men and women's golf team. And Phil Mickelson is going to be the one who's going to be designing this. And he said Arizona State's facility is going to be home to the single greatest short game training space in the country. It's not going to be even the biggest, but it's not going to be but it's not going to be the most aesthetically beautiful. It's just going to be the most functional, end of quote. So Lefty is going back home to do some good there. He's paying back to his alma mater for it. Well, I'm going to have to bring him to Ohio State to see their training facility down there because they got it's out of sight. <laughs> what they've done down there is unbelievable, I'm telling you. Uh, hey, uh, real quick, my final putt. The 2020 Open Championship is going to return to Royal St. George's where Darren Clark won in 2011. Um, we've got Peter Jacobson is going to be honored by the Golf Writers Association of America as the Charlie Bartlett Award winner for unselfish contributions to the betterment of society. And a new film is going to be made about the life of the legendary Mo Norman. I can't wait to see this, Carlos. I've read and followed the stories about Mo Norman for several years and uh, hope this movie can bring his incredible story of golfing, this, of this golfing savant to the mass golfing public. He was quite a guy. And with that, we wrap up another week of the Back Nine Report presented by eDraft.com. Thank you for listening. It's always our pleasure to bring you the latest on the world of golf. Special thanks to our VIG, very important guest of the week, Ruben Hannon from Vertical Groove. I'm going to try those vertical grooves. Don't forget to join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time here on Block Talk Radio. Or if you miss it, check it out on iTunes or tune in. And if you haven't done so, hey, follow the show on Twitter, our ITE Sat Back Nine Report with the number nine in the middle. My name is Carlos Torres, along with Fred Peter. We wish you to be happy, be blessed, and enjoy the great game of golf and life. Happy golfing, everybody. Good night, everybody.